0: And today we're looking at Colossians chapter two, verses six to fifteen. I'm pleased to have your Bibles open as we work through our passage together. But before we do, let me first open up in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, our Lord, we thank you for church. Lord, we thank you for this time when we can come together to encourage one another, to fellowship with one another, and to learn together as we hear now. Lord, I pray that you would be with us now. Remove any distractions that we may have. Help us, Lord, to sit at your feet as we work through this passage together. Father, I pray, be with me as I preach from your word. Anoint me for this task. Help me now to speak clearly. Help me now to speak powerfully. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I found myself in a conversation with four other guys. And I was asked a routine question of what I did, and feeling particularly brave, I said, "I tell people about Jesus. I tell them about the incarnation, the resurrection, and the crucifixion, and what Jesus has done." I want quickly asked, "What are those things? What is the incarnation? What is the crucifixion? And what is the resurrection?" I explained the Bible teaches us that Jesus, God the Son, took on flesh. That is, God became a man. This is the incarnation. And God lived in his creation. He lived the godly life that we could not. And then he died the death meant for us on a cross. This is the crucifixion. Uh, one of these guys cut me off at this point and said, I don't like this dribble you're speaking of. And what did he do? Well, he left the conversation. But the other three still listened intently to what I had to say. The crucifixion, I went on, was the means in which Jesus paid the penalty for sin. I explained humanity has sinned against the Creator, they have rebelled against God, and as a result, He was going to punish sin. But God, in His love for humanity, Then Jesus. Jesus then saves those who belong to him. He saves them not because of any good they have done, but solely because he loves. And saves them by taking their punishment. He dies the death meant for them. I went on to say the Bible says the payment for sin is death. So what did Jesus do? Well, He died that death us. One of them asked at this point, well, what about the resurrection? What does the resurrection mean? I said, ah, the resurrection. The resurrection is Jesus conquering death. Jesus didn't say dead forever. But after three days, He rose from the dead. By doing this, He made a way for those who are united to Him... Those who trust Jesus as the one who has paid their debt. To them, Jesus has given life. And this life is eternal life. What some might call heaven. Unbelievably, these three guys were captivated by what I said. And i offered to meet up with them so that we could explore more of Christianity together. However... After four months, our group of four had lost one of our guys. His passion for Jesus was snapped out by friends and family who started excluding him because of the changes that were happening in in his life. And he thought, this isn't worth it. And we stopped hearing from him. It wasn't long after that, just another couple months, that one more of the guys left. And what happened was, I called this guy out of his sin. I said to this guy, you have to stop putting Jesus second. You're still chasing after the things of this world. You're chasing after money. You're chasing after women. This needs to stop. And needless to say, this was the last time I saw him. Three of these guys heard about Jesus. One dismissed him and left him before I could even finish. But for a time, the other two loved Jesus. But the pressures of this world, the desire for other things, proved too great at some point. If you guys haven't realized yet, but I've made the story up. This story is based off the parable of the sower and the seed in Mark chapter 4. But a question you guys might have is what about the fourth person? What about the fourth person in our story? Well that fourth person is you. You who have heard the word and held on to it. You who did not let go. Who did not get tempted by the world, the flesh or the devil. You who heard about Jesus. You who persevered despite the difficulties. You who have faith in Jesus and a love for His church. Friends, our passage today starts off with verses 6 and 7. And they are addressing you. The one who has persevered. The one who has faith in Jesus. The one who has received Jesus. Have a look at verse 6 with me. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. The word so then, or in some translations, the word therefore, is a marker showing that the Apostle Paul is now shifting gears. The Apostle Paul at this point is saying, Hey, in light of everything I've just said, listen now to this. Let what I've said previously fill in what I'm about to say now. And what does the Apostle Paul say at this point? Well, he says, you have received Jesus. Jesus, whom we have been reminded over the last few weeks, has done what? Well, Jesus has saved us. Jesus is maturing us. He's continuing to work in our lives. Jesus is God. He is the creator of the entire universe. He is the head of the church. He has conquered death for us that we might have life in Him. Jesus is our Savior. In Him is the complete fullness of God. We don't need to go looking for God outside of Jesus. Why? Because we find God completely in Jesus. The mystery that was once hidden has now been made known to you. Jesus is the one we proclaim. We proclaim Him with warning and with teaching. And this is done with all of Scripture. This is Jesus, whom you have received. And having received him, we are told to do what? Live our lives in him. That your lifestyle should reflect having received him. Living a life of dependence on him. Living a life praising him. Living a life thanking him. And that's what we see in verse 7, isn't it? We are to remain rooted in Jesus to depend on Him when there are pressures on us to conform or pressures on us to leave our faith at the front door. What are we to do? We are to pray that God will mature His church, that the Spirit will continue to work powerfully in the lives of His people. And we are to give praise and thanksgiving to God for what He has done and what He is continuing to do in the lives of His people. Friends, we are to live our lives in Him, reflecting what He has done and is doing in us. And that's the main focus of our passage today. We are to live for Christ. Let me say that again. The main focus of our passage today, we are to live for Christ. And our passage outlines three ways we are to do this. First, having been fulfilled by Christ, don't be deceived. Having been fulfilled by Christ, don't be deceived. Second, having been united with Christ, no longer live for sin. Having been united with Christ... No longer live for sin. And the third way, having been reconciled to Christ, live for him. Having been reconciled to Christ, live for him. Let's have a look at that first point together, shall we? Having been fulfilled in Christ, don't be deceived. Let me read verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Let's think back for a moment. What is happening here in our letter? What's happening to the church in Colossae? For the Colossian church, there is a pressure on them to conform. A pressure on them to conform to those around them. Those around them are doing what? Well, they're seeking to undermine the gospel. And how are they undermining the gospel? Well, our passage tells us through philosophy. Uh, at this point, don't think of philosophy the philosophy of today as in the philosophy of the 21st century, but rather think of we, the philosophy of the 21st century is: questioning the world around us. Is it really there? Does it really exist? But the philosophy in Paul's time is much different. In Paul's day, there were a variety of philosophies, Uh, For example, there was the rational philosophy of the Greeks and their search for meaning done through the pursuit of knowledge. Uh, There is also philosophy of Judaism, which which searches for meaning through a right way of living, living out the law. And then there is the philosophy, which might be the one that's in our passage, which are confronting the Colossians. Some sort of mysticism which says that there are hidden secrets that only a few hold answers to. We aren't told exactly what the philosophy is, but what are we told by the Apostle Paul? But we are told that this philosophy is hollow and deceptive. That this philosophy will sound good, but what is it? Well, it's just empty lies. At this point, I almost think of a block of chocolate... When I see a block of chocolate, I'm filled with expectation of feeling good, of feeling satisfied. But what happens? Well, if I eat too much of that block of chocolate, I feel a bit gross. I don't feel satisfied. That bar of chocolate, which promised so much, has now left me feeling unfulfilled. This is what philosophy is, unfulfillment. Just like that bar of chocolate, empty calories... Philosophy, empty. Empty lies. Because it doesn't do what it says. And our passage tells us this is because it's man-made. They have not come from God. Paul goes even further and says they depend on the elemental spiritual forces. Elemental spiritual forces? What are they? Uh, In some translations, it says elemental spirits. If we look in our footnotes, it says basic principles. In the Greek, it could be translated literally as elementary things. Are they spiritual forces? Are they spirits? Basic principles? Are they something else? Our short answer is we don't know. However, what the Apostle Paul is conveying is that these spiritual forces these elementary things were well, just like human traditions they are also created this philosophy that is out there the one that is trying to deceive is something made up by people it doesn't come from god but you you know better what have we been told Chapter 1, verse 26. This mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. It is in Jesus that we know God. It is in Jesus that we find real fulfillment. Verse 9 of chapter 2 reminds us that it is in Jesus that we find God. Look at verse 9 with me. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. I'm reminded at this point of John chapter 14. At John chapter 14 where Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, asks him to show him the Father. And how does Jesus respond to Philip? Anyone who has seen me has, has seen the Father. To see Jesus is to see the Father. To know Jesus is to is to know the Father. Why? Because in Jesus is God. And verse 10 tells us that we find fulfillment, not through empty lies, not through philosophy which has been made up by people, but fulfillment which has been found in Jesus. And this Jesus is the one who has made everything. Whether it is on heaven or on earth, whether it is invisible or visible, Christ has made it all. And he rules over all. Now, let me ask you at this point are you finding fulfillment in Christ? Or are you seeking fulfillment in the created things of this world? Are you here today perhaps finding meaning and purpose in some man-made religion, whether that's Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, or even a religion that follows some sort of distorted Christianity and that is actually no longer Christian? I'm talking about such religions like the Roman Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church. Or are you the person that is finding meaning and purpose in other things, in your family, in your job, in friendship, in money, or maybe in some other addiction. What does our passage say about these things? They are deceitful. They are lies. They are hollow. They are man-made. Ultimately, they will not provide you with true fulfillment But you have found fulfillment in Jesus. You have found fulfillment in Jesus. So don't be deceived. All right, let's move on now to our second point. Point number two. Having been united with Christ, no longer live for sin. Looking now at verses 11 and 12. Let me read. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Oh, Circumcision, baptism, flesh being put off. I don't know about you guys, but when I first read these verses, I had to read them a couple of times to try and work at what was being said. So let's spend some time working out what these verses mean together. First, what is the significance of circumcision? Well, we have to remember what circumcision meant in the Old Testament. In Genesis, circumcision was given to God's people to signify the covenant, the promise between God's people and God. It was a sign that they belonged to God. And in our passage, this circumcision speaks also of unity, but speaks differently of circumcision. It says that this circumcision, the one here in our passage, is not made with human hands, but has been done by Christ. What has Christ done? Well, he has brought us into union with himself through his death. In Christ, there is the removal of the old self and being clothed with Christ. Therefore, when it says that your whole self ruled by the flesh, meaning also when sin ruled in your life, this was put off, this was removed. You are no longer united to sin, but you are now united to Christ. Think of it this way. Uh, Before I became a Christian, sin ruled in my life. Whether I knew it or not, it controlled me. The desires of earning money drove me. Wanting to be liked by others, I craved Finding pleasure in instant gratification was sought after. And what was it like when sin ruled in my life? Well, just like our passage says, I felt empty. I felt unfulfilled. Uh, Perhaps you've experienced this too. When you sought after sin, when it had control over you, How did you feel? Empty? Unfulfilled? But in Christ, what happened? In Christ, we were given life. Where sin no longer ruled in us. That former part of our life was removed. It's gone. It's done away with. It died. And in Christ, we were given fulfillment. How was it done? Through the crucifixion. And baptism is used as the imagery of union with Christ. Baptism symbolized washing and renewal. In Christ we have been washed and renewed. But also more than just being washed. What does verse 12 tell us? Well, it highlights that we have been buried with Christ. We have been raised with Christ. These words are showing that Christ is not just our substitute, but he is our representative. In Christ, we have experienced death. But also in Christ, we have experienced life. Our former self was put to death and we were given new life in Jesus. So what about you? You, when you heard about Jesus, did not dismiss him and walk away. You, who did not have your zeal snuffed out by the world around you and what they thought. And you, who put Jesus first in your life. You, who received the word, received Christ Jesus as Lord. How are you living your life? Are you living for Jesus? You have been united to Jesus through His death and resurrection. Your old self was removed. Sin no longer reigns in your life. You have been washed and cleaned in Christ. Your old self is dead and buried. If you are here, knowing that Christ has died for you, and yet you are still actively living in sin, then I plead with you. I plead with you to repent. Repent and pray that Christ will powerfully work in your life, that He would continue to transform you, that He would continue to fill you with all wisdom and grow you in maturity, so that you will know the will of God and live for Him. For the one who is here and living a life reflecting their union with Christ, can I encourage you to be praying for the church? Be praying that Christ will continue to protect you from those that will attack your faith. Be praying for the church that they will remain rooted in Christ and not waver. Chasing after the created things of this world. Having been united to Christ, we are no longer to live for sin, but we are to live for Christ, having been given fulfillment in Him. We come now to our third and final point. Point number three. Having been reconciled to Christ, live for Him. Our verses 13 and 14 reminds us at this point what Christ has done when he was crucified. While we were still dead in our sins, being ruled by the cravings and desires we had, God made us alive in Christ. How? All through the cross. Christ death has forgiven all our sins. In Christ's death, our debt has been paid. What is the debt for sin? The wages of sin, the wages of sin is death. And Scripture tells us that all those who have rebelled against God, that have not been redeemed in Christ, what will happen to them? Well, we are told they will experience the second death. What is the second death? The second death is judgment. A judgment for all who have remained in sin. The book of Revelation tells us, the book of Revelation is the final book in the Bible, what will happen to the unrepentant sinner. And it tells us that they will be thrown into the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. What is this place? Well, it's hell. The one who has lived in their sin and has said no to God. The one who has been deceived by the devil. The one who has gone after the things of this world. Scripture is very clear. You will go to hell. If I'm talking to you right now and you have said no to God, if I'm talking to you And you are living an unrepentant life. Can I warn you? Can I plead with you? I'm here to say you are heading down a path that is leading to a lake of fire. Therefore I urge you. I urge you to seek after Jesus. If you have any questions about Jesus, come talk to me after the service. Talk to any of the elders that we have here at Cornerstone. They would be more than happy to talk with you. Talk to the person that brought you here. We would love to share with you more about Jesus. And to the Christian. To the Christian, you have had your sin paid for in Christ. And you will not experience death. What does our passage tell us? You will experience life. You will dwell with God in the new heavens and the new earth. Simply put, you're going to heaven. Our passage tells us that Jesus has taken away our sin. The Greek actually says this a little more intensely. It says your sin has been taken away from your midst. It can't be seen. It's gone completely. Where did it go? Well, it was nailed to the cross where Jesus paid the debt for sin by dying the death meant for us. And not only has our sin been cancelled and wiped clean in Christ, what else does our passage tell us? Of oh, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. In the cross, in what Jesus has done, is fulfillment. Are these empty lies which are promised in man-made things? This world no longer has any power. They no longer have any power because of what Christ has done. Sin no longer has any power. Sin, although it might have given us one satisfaction, it never really fulfilled us. But now we have been given Christ. Christ who does give us fulfillment. In Him we have life. You have been reconciled to Christ. So live for Him. I want to end with this exhortation. Live for Christ. Live for Christ by finding fulfillment in Him. By reminding yourself what you have received. You have received life. You have received forgiveness. You have received freedom. You have received a relationship with Jesus. Jesus, who is the creator of the entire universe. The one who has conquered death. The one who has brought salvation. In Him, you are saved. In Him, you are being matured. In Him, you can stand firm. In Him, you can overcome all the oppositions out there, whether that is the devil or the world or the flesh. With Christ, you have won. There is a lot we can be thankful for as we live for Christ. And on that note, let's spend some time in prayer. A Heavenly Father, Our Lord, we thank you for being given fulfillment in Christ. That through our Lord and Savior, our old self has been put to death. Sin no longer rules in our life. Help us, Father, by the work of your Holy Spirit, to keep writing to Jesus. That he might remind us the great work he has done in our lives. And that by doing so, we will not chase after those things that will hinder our faith. Uh, Help us, Father, to live our lives in Christ. Lord, to stand firm in the faith, being built up in Christ, that by persevering in the faith, we will also produce fruit. Producing fruit in accordance with your will, that we would do good works which are pleasing in your sight, always in response, knowing first what Jesus has done for us. And it is for his sake and in his name we pray. Amen.